0: Hey there Purpose Warriors, welcome to the Awaken to Purpose podcast. This is Dr. Burnell from drbrunel.com, where we believe that every season in your life serves a greater purpose. If you're new to the podcast, here's what you need to know. We are a community of Purpose Warriors who believe that God's best version of ourselves is hidden on the inside of us, just waiting to be awakened as we grow in our relationship and continue to say yes to what God has called us to do in the earth. We know that God's purpose for our lives was preordained and the reason why he created us. So every other week, this podcast seeks to explore how to awaken to your purpose from a practical standpoint and become God's best version of you. And we do this by touching upon our five pillars of purpose, faith, relationship, identity, resiliency, and stewardship. If you want to know more about our five pillars of purpose, head over to my website at www.drgrunnell.com backslash podcast. So before we dive in, I need to share with you that this podcast is being brought to you by my new book, From Pain to Purpose, where I share actionable steps, biblical principles, and life lessons on how I discovered my purpose after a painful and unexpected divorce and was left to raise two children with more than a million dollars of debt zero access, and a negative network. My book is available on my website, again, at www.drbrunnell.com, also on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or wherever books are sold. So if you want to learn more about how to release limiting beliefs, overcome financial difficulties, experience radical breakthroughs, and step courageously into your purpose, then grab your copy today. And remember, that God can use whatever unfair or unjust act, any rejection or hurtful experience and transform your pain into your purpose. So let's jump right in. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Awaken to Purpose podcast. I have an incredible guest today, Krista Pettiford is an award-winning author and speaker. She is the founder of Krista Pettiford Ministries Incorporated, which exists to partner with other organizations to uplift women and girls in crisis and transition by sowing beautiful Bibles into their lives so that they can encounter the Father and His Son, Jesus, and learn more about their new life in Christ. Krista's desire is to lead women into the life-changing knowledge of God's love, acceptance, and beauty that changes the way we see ourselves and how we show up in the world. She writes and ministers with the solid biblical message and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Krista is dedicated to calling women into a deeper relationship with God, helping them become the women he called them to be, walk in their callings effectively, and triumph through the changing seasons of life. Welcome, 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 Krista. <laughs>
1: Hi, welcome. That was a mouthful. Ah, thank you for reading my bio. Yes, Hey. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so, so excited to have you. And I know you've been incredibly busy. I've been seeing you making moves out there on Instagram. So I was like, let me just dip into her DMs and see (laughs) if she's free. So thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it.
1: You are so very welcome. And it is an honor. We met through a purpose to platform and I love being able to reach out. So thank you for reaching out to me. So Um, definitely would be here.
0: Amen, amen, amen. And so normally what I love to do is I just love to turn the mic over, so to speak, to my guests so that they can go ahead and start sharing their incredible testimony with my listeners. So with that being said, I'm just going to turn it over to you.
1: Okay, well, let's get into (laughs) it. So I met Jesus. My testimony is I am a divorced mom of four Young adults. I was a teenage mom at 16, and I'll be 49 next month in May 31st. I had a blended family, so that is kind of the quick piece, but let me just kind of back up and start from the beginning. Let's see, I got saved in November of 1997. The things leading up to that is where I want to start. You know, it's interesting how. When we go through pain or suffering in relationships, God uses that to call us closer to Him. Some mm-hmm. people run away from Him, but some people run into Him and say, "Who is this Jesus that I heard about?" That's kind of my story. I met my ex-husband when I was 20 and he was 18, so I was a cougar, and mm-hmm. at that time, I already had two children. So I had my first daughter when I was 16, and then I had my son when I was 20. And Mm -hmm. right after I met my ex-husband, I turned 21. And then he turned 19. But Mm -hmm. we met and we fell in love and we're excited. And he accepted my two children. He didn't have any kids. And he was always more mature than he looked. And he's 6'6". And he's Native American and Black. And so he looked, you know, he's thinner now his older age. He's got a different swag. But Back then mm-hmm. he had the long ponytail and, you know, I'm from California. So, you know, we kind of like that. You, you like know. that, huh? <laughs> yeah, that long ponytail. He's real tall and I'm short. And so anyways, we became very, very close and like so many women in my era. And I was the youngest of six girls in my family. So I have nine siblings. Um, No twins, same mom and dad, but I was the one that got pregnant outside of wetlock and did all the things. I was a child of the 80s that you don't do or that, you know, we were raised not to do. And I had already had my two children. Then I ended up getting pregnant again by him probably a year or so into the relationship, which was a whirlwind, right? And Mm -hmm. so, which is what I was saying was there were so many women in the eighties, young girls, should I say not women, young girls, there was a epidemic, so to speak of women, young teenagers getting pregnant. And looking back, I was a part of that group of women who were having babies. And thankfully my ex-husband married me and he didn't have a good upbringing and he didn't have children and he had a lot of things against him yet he was this young man who had been born into wealth let me put it that way but he hadn't grown up with it but when he turned 18 he came into it mm. and i didn't know that like walking into it but of course we got married and as i came to know so he was just so generous and he was so loving and he wanted us it didn't matter he was in love with me and i was in love with him and we were taking trips and taking the kids and all of that this and the other and and so I got pregnant, he wanted to get married, and we got married. But what I did not realize is that he had some issues, as did I. Mm-hmm. He had some issues that had come in from the situations that he had gone through in life with his father, and you know different things that had happened to him. Sometimes people hate what was done to them, but they repeat that behavior, and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of things that began to happen that were mentally and emotionally abusive. However, there was some physical abuse, but that wasn't the biggest thing because I wasn't going to do all of that with him. You know what I mean? Like, uh uh-uh, you can't do that. Hello, 911. And so Mm -hmm. we got past that part real quick, but there were still a lot of things that were going on. And then people, because he was this big person and still is quite well-known, people started saying things to him that I know it was hard for him to handle. Like she has two kids already. You know, we were already in a relationship. We were already living together. He had bought a house and moved me out of my little apartment, my little section apartment and put me in this house with the housekeeper and Mercedes, you know, all these things. And, you know, there was a lot of people that didn't like that. And Mm -hmm. I was so naive that I didn't see that because, you know, I had a good heart, even though I didn't know Even though I had these experiences and had come from a worldly background, you know, if you tell me you like me, I think you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You know, it's like, hey, no, okay, you're speaking to me because you're trying to get close to him. You're trying to talk to my man, you know, all of these things. That being said, I think that was a lot of pressure. And then he had a very high pressure job. So I won't put it all on him. But I think a lot of things, a lot of the pressures of his career taking off, and all the things that he was doing at the same time that I was having these kids. And I had become very dependent on him because when I first met him, we were doing all these things together. And then we settled into life together. And, you know, I'm at home with the kids and I'm like, hey, can you pick up some bread on the way home? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I got babies and stuff. And at the same time, I'm not really realizing because nobody ever taught me how to be a wife, even though I saw my mom and my dad when they were, married for years. I think I was the youngest. So 10 years old is when they separated and then they didn't divorce until I was 35. But my parents, I didn't see that. Although all my older siblings did, you know, um, Mm -hmm. see them together and all that. But point being is that I didn't know what to do. And plus I was so young. And so, Hey, can you pick me up something? And I'm not knowing that he's having this pressure of, you know, I just had a bad day at the office. You know, I have to travel and this, that, and the other, because he was in corporate and business and doing a lot of big things at that age due to his position and his connection and his inheritance. So a lot was put on him at a young Mm -hmm. age, but he was par for the course, but it was a lot of pressure. And I think at the same time, he started imploding and he started giving into the pressure to party and do different things. Again, when I met him, he was 18, right? And I was 20. And so I'm not being the best and we're arguing and he came with his own issues and I came with my own issues. Right. You know, so we were this power couple and these kids were all this money and kids and acting grown. And so we (laughs) we didn't know what we were doing. Listen,
0: that happens, too. I think. One of the points that you brought out was that you don't always know what it takes to be a wife, to be someone's wife. And I think when you are young like that, even when marriage is modeled in a certain way, you still don't fully understand what that means and what that is supposed to look like and how to love someone. You know, we have this really oftentimes immature idea and definition of love. I know I had it in my relation, the ride or die type of mentality, which is nothing of God because God had to tell me that himself. But you think that, okay, if I do these things, then therefore the marriage would grow, it will be sustainable and all of those different things. But yeah, you walk in oftentimes incredibly naive to some of those challenges that start to become prevalent during the course of a marriage. The other thing that I wanted to say is, listen, first of all, you were not a cougar. Two years? Uh-uh. I think <laughs> someone who was four years younger than me. And I was like, hey, this is just what it is. And so look, you knew what you liked at the time and that was it. So anyway, go ahead and finish your story.
1: But yeah, well, the guy that I almost got engaged to in 2020, I call him my almost fiance because I wanted to stop and do marriage counseling and then it didn't work out. We're still friends. He'll be 41 and I'll be 49. So that was
0: eight years. I was like, girl, you talking about, listen, we need to redefine the word. And it's okay. (laughs) So it was like,
1: wow. So Mm -hmm. yes, when we met, he was 38 and I was like 45. And we were talking about getting married. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm not having no more kids. But back to the story, I will say this based off of what you said. Now, I think before I finish the story, the Lord sends me women who are in a hard place in their marriage, who do not know what to do with their husband, who are having relationships with their husband based on what the church said, what their mama said, trying to put their husbands and their marriage in this box and make it measure up. And I don't know, everywhere I go, there is women who will inbox me or meet them at church or whatever in the walk of life, and I will minister to them that Mm -hmm. that's not what you do. And I said, God, something good came out of it because my marriage was not saved in that season. But I have learned sometimes we teach by our mistakes. So we could tell you what not to do. And the marriages that the Lord has allowed me to help him save by ministering to women to don't do that. First of all, get to know your husband and you are dealing with the person God is bringing you together. So he has used what I didn't know then in hindsight, looking back and knowing what I want now and what it takes now to speak into women who are standing where I was at in a season where I didn't know any better and I didn't have anybody to tell me to care enough. And maybe because people wanted it to fail anyway, because of all the reasons I stated but yeah. nobody told me this is what you should do except for my mama. And I was so hot headed that I didn't listen to her and everything she said was right. Going back to that season. I remember, let me pinpoint some moments, some defining moments. And so Mm -hmm. I remember having my son, our son, our first son together, and he had asthma and he was barely one years old and he had pneumonia. Actually, he had Mm -hmm. pneumonia and he was in the hospital. And I remember I was not saved. I had been raised Catholic. And then I went to new age. I had visited A mosque, like, you know, the nation of Islam through college and things like that. So I was doing whatever, you know, the world is doing and finding spiritualism. And so his aunt had called me in the hospital to pray for me. My side of the family was more religious and had been raised Catholic and, you know, Baptist, but his family were these born again believers, and, you know, which was foreign to me at the time. And so his aunt called me and she had a friend on third way and she wanted to pray for our son. And her friend prophesied to me
0: mm-hmm. instead
1: of praying for our son. And that was in 1995. My son was born in 95. So this was at the end of 95. Yes, yeah, right before he turned one, maybe 96. She prophesied to me that we were going to go through some things. He was going to go through some hard things that God was going to bring us back together His latter days were going to be greater than his former and that he was going to get involved with drugs and this type of thing and that type of thing. But God was going to restore him. And his aunt said, you got the wrong person. That's not my nephew. But, you know, as his wife, I tucked it in my heart. And then Mm -hmm. when I got radically saved in 1997. So how I got saved is that we were arguing. I guess it was 97 because it was November of 97 and the Super Bowl was in San Diego where I live. And we had gotten to an argument and he left out and I had been going to church while I was pregnant with my daughter, our youngest mm-hmm. daughter. So I'm on the second child. We're having this wild up and down bunny and Clyde relationship. I'm mm-hmm. button, not anything illegal, but you know, I'm his ride or die. You know what I mean? So I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you want to do? I got you, you know, whatever. And we're going to all the big parties and events and soul training works, you name it. We're going to fight sitting in the front row. I'm his rider, or die. He, Mr. Big Man, you know, whatever. And so this is the kind of life that we were living. I started going to a church with his aunt. I had never been to church. And I was pregnant with our daughter and, or to this type of church. And they would be preaching and I would just start crying. And some days he would go and some days he wouldn't. And it was just tears like cleansing and all of this. And so by mm-hmm. the time I had our daughter, we had gotten to an argument and he left to go out and it was during that time. And, you know, we had tickets and all this stuff. So he went where he was going and I was at home with our newborn baby. She had been born in August 18th and it was early November and he left. The other kids were asleep. I was sitting in our living room. She was asleep as well. And I had me a drink. You know, i am kids, you know, they sleep, I have my little drink and I say, I'm going to kill myself. I'm being dramatic. I'm not going to really do it, but you know, I'm having a show, a drama show for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill myself. I don't know what I'm going to do and all this, that and the other. So I'm saying all these things to myself and I go in the room in our bedroom, and I say, Lord, if you're really real, like they say in that church, then come into my heart, like they said in that church, <sighs> silence and peace just Mm -hmm. came into the room. The tears stopped, all the things stopped. And I didn't know. So that was 97. And all of a sudden things started happening. The things I used to do, I didn't want to do anymore. And I was drawn to the word of God. And it was like, I'm reading his word and I am being drawn to him and Mm -hmm. I don't want to do like, no, I don't want to go to the club. No, I'm not going to wear that no I don't want Mm. any weed no I don't want no drink you know just all the no it was just like where is this coming from and Mm. I really didn't know it but his word was cleansing me Mm. and it was pulling these things off of me and he had changed my desires and I hadn't been back to church and so all of a sudden so this was happening to me and we started moving further apart and Ah. when he Started doing things, his life started spiraling with all the pressure and uh, to party and do all these things. Mm-hmm. It was like that prophetic word, the beginning of the prophetic word was coming to pass. And I looked back and I probably 1998 or so, and I said, This is that which she had prophesied. Like he's doing things he shouldn't be doing. And she said, His latter days would be greater, and all these things. And I'm like, Oh God, this is what is going on. Now, I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. To Divorce. And so in 2000, we separated, and it will be some years before we divorced. But in between that time, mm-hmm. what I want to talk about is the fact that I thought I could pray him back. I thought if I just did everything that they said, and then he started acting like a narcissist. By moving the measuring line, you know, like one minute, if you just do this. So I could never measure up. I could never, you know, be good enough. He always put everything off on me. If I would do this or if I would do that, you know, then it would work Mm -hmm. out because there was a lot of things that he wasn't doing well. And neither was I. Even though I had gotten saved, you know, I was trying to beat him over the head with the Bible. You know, I was doing all the things. And none of it was working, but at the same time, I was also felt like he was making me feel very unworthy and like those things that he had been doing prior were still Mm -hmm. happening. And I was always trying to live up to, if I just change this, if I just be good enough on top of the fact that I was trying to deal with my own issues. There were things that I was doing, and I would repent, you know, if I called to him and went off, or so, you know, if I got in my face. So I was fighting this battle between spirit and flesh as I was growing in my faith and learning how not to respond the way I did while he was doing very hurtful things. So it was just this ongoing, painful process that we went through.
0: Can I just pause you right there? Because part of what I was thinking as you were speaking is that sometimes we have such an intense desire to be in a relationship with someone. And we don't even pause to take a look at the level of hurt and trauma that they've been through. And if they haven't been delivered and healed of that, they're just going to sweep on through in that relationship and literally beat you over the head with whatever their hurt and their pain is. And I think more often than not, sometimes as women, we go through these relationships and exactly what you've described happens, which is, you know, that line that they're using to kind of like measure things, that bar keeps getting raised. And and the more they raise it, the less you're able to even reach it. And so then you take it all on yourself to say like, it's me and I'm not good enough. And sometimes they project that onto you and say, if you just would have done this, or if you just do this, if you clean this house a little bit more, if you can keep the kids quiet. And I think sometimes those things will tear at the fiber of our self-esteem. Right. So the longer we're in that. So you, you talked about he was a narcissist. The longer you stay in something like that, the harder it is to leave a situation whole.
1: Yes. And I think that it certainly fragmented my soul and it also had a great effect on my children because I didn't set boundaries. So I had this prophetic word. So the prophetic word was. I didn't understand how to interpret that. So sometimes Mm -hmm. someone is believing for their spouse. I minister to people on my YouTube channel or in life, and they've got a prophecy for their restoration for their marriage. But first Corinthians seven says, God has called us to peace. How do you know that you can bring him back? Oh man, or a woman, if an unbeliever leave, let him leave because God has called you to peace. And I believe that even if the person is not an unbeliever, Even if you have a word from God, you have to walk in peace. And if it's disturbing your peace, then you can't Mm -hmm. be entangled because what happens is you're up and down. If they're being nice to you, you think, oh, this is it. Well, let me speak for myself. Okay. So he came for Christmas and it seemed like we're getting back together and he would do this thing where he would come and it looked like we're getting back together and then he would not. And so I left that door open. And what it did was it created this thing where daddy's home, daddy's not home. Daddy's home. Daddy's not home. We're all one big family. We're doing things together. Then I heard you talking to a woman who's not my mom on the phone when you picked me up from school. So it was all these different types of things going on that just really had an effect on our children and how they saw things. And then, you know, it was like, why do you stay with him? Why do you let him talk to you like that? Because there was a lot of mean, harsh talk as well that Mm. and becoming a Christian, it was like, okay, I used to would cut you with my words, but I'm now thinking it's a Christian thing to do to take a lot of things and to accept his apology every time he does instead of creating boundaries. So if there's something that I would say to a woman, it's like, create those boundaries, even if you're believing for your husband, or you want your marriage to work, you have to create healthy boundaries for you and your children you cannot allow somebody to just keep on coming in and out and talking to you in any type of way even though you love them that's mm-hmm. not healthy.
0: yeah you're pretty much saying don't be somebody else's punching back I don't care if you're saved or not because at the end of the day that is not God's divine will for your life to subject yourself to something like that to that level of abuse that's not in you know so when you think about the Bible, and I think about like all the different ways that people were persecuted, but they were persecuted for what they believe in terms of their faith, their belief in God. And we go through a lot of persecution because we subject ourselves to situations situation that God never called us into in the first place. And so I love that you said that and that advice that you would share with someone. So how did all of this stuff that you went through during the course of your marriage How did it lead you to the meaningful work that you're doing right now to bless the lives of others?
1: First of all, let me go back because when I got saved and he left, I started praying for, I left the church that his family was in. Mm -hmm. I went to a friend had invited me to church on a prayer night. And so I went to church and that was the church I was in for 22 years. I went to this church and I'm like, Oh God, are you calling me here? And I went back with my kids and I started praying for him, intercessory prayer. And I was praying with the older women. We were praying and I got called into intercessory prayer ministry. And I started having this intimate, passionate relationship with the Lord. And it was like um, in pursuit of knowing him. And I began to enter into the prophetic ministry where I was calling things out in my local church and seeing things and prophesying and praying. And then what happened was I got called into I didn't think I'm going to help women. That's not how it really started. Like, okay, I've been through this, so I'm going to help women. I didn't think I was good enough. Let me just say that. I didn't think I was good enough to, and sometimes I still struggle. Let me just share this because I think it will bless someone because I don't have that testimony. God called me into ministry and that is really what happened. And I'm honored by it and I do it and I'm in it now, but it was a struggle for me. I started praying for my husband. It didn't work out, but I got called into this prayer, this intercessory prayer where we were, mm-hmm. I'm praying with these old women and the older women, should I say, they wouldn't like that, praying mm-hmm. with the older saints, you know, and learning how to pray. And then all of a sudden this prophetic mantle. told I'm prophesying. And then these were the mothers in the church at the time. And one of them led the women's ministry. 2006, the Lord told me he wanted me to go to theology school, to seminary. So I Mm -hmm. went and did a seminary degree and on that time I'm serving these women. So I'm just trying to serve the women who helped me through this hard season. By then I'm divorced and I'm in ministry just under these other women, just really serving these women out of my relationship with them. And Mm -hmm. I hear the Lord say, I want you to go to seminary. And I said, two years prior, I was going to go finish my next degree because I'm an IT manager by day. I was going to go do my degree information technology, my second degree. And he said, what if I told you not to do that? What if I told you to trust me? I didn't tell you what was next, but I told you not Mm -hmm. to go to that, you know, to to enter into I was already signed up and had classes and the Lord spoke to me while I was on fast. So fast forward two years later, he tells me to go to seminary. He tells me which seminary to go to. It's right in my local area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's no seminary here. That church doesn't have a seminary. He's like, go and look online. So he picked the seminary. Picked the. It was there. The church had a seminary. I didn't know it. And so I went to seminary. I get there the first night, and I'm crying because by this time I'm a divorced mom. I have this shame. Now I'm in church, and I see all these women with their husbands. I'm still believing God for my marriage, right? Because that's when I'm learning in church. It's going to turn around and believe God for it and all of this. So I want my marriage and. You know, Mm -hmm. dating other people is off the table, and all of that. So I didn't date until 2020. But anyway, it's whole another story. So I go to seminary, and I'm crying. I said, "God, if you want me to do this, I am the least like. Why would you call me to do this?" And I'm really crying in my car. I am boohoo, and I'm saying, "Lord, I just went through a divorce. My life is a wreck. Mm -hmm. I have all these things, but my life is a wreck. Why would you call me to do this? If you want me to go to seminary, then you." have to go with me and I will do what you've asked me to do because I knew it was him. And so I finished seminary in 2008, early 2008. And then I got a call. I was on a trip with my son who was in the eighth grade. It was his Washington DC trip. They went to a Christian school. We were on this little trip. I get a call from my pastor that the other woman had went on to another ministry to lead women's ministry. He said he was going to pick somebody else, but the Holy Spirit told him me. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, what in the whole entire, like what she was stepping down. So I thought I was over it. So I had a complex. That I could not do this. I even tried when I first got called into ministry before doing women's ministry. I started dressing like the women, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s. It was the suits and that, you know, my church, we dressed. How did you right? wear the hats too? Were you yeah. wearing the hats? We didn't wear the hats because we were here, you know, in sunny California, but we dressed. You wore stockings to church? Yes, you yeah, did. Yes, but girls, some of the mothers
0: <laughs> would also, you know, the stockings <laughs> and the hats. Because it sounds like your path into, Helping other women in the ministry that you have was led by God and strictly out of obedience to Him. At first, yes. At first. Well, it's still right. So the things mm-hmm. that you do, like God still leads you, mm-hmm. you're still obedient in the things that He's leading you to do, even if He causes you to pivot in the way that you're doing the work with the women that you're doing. He might decide to say that there are no men and women in heaven. So then, therefore, you know, feed my flock, right? And so, right now, What do you do to support other women in the work that you're doing through your ministry?
1: So right now, what I do and where all that has led me to is I do the called conference. So I've written books for them and I do my YouTube channel. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is sewing Bibles into the lives of women Mm -hmm. and girls. And so that started by me through my job going into the local YWCA, that's how I started my nonprofit. I just went in because I had a connect and we donated to them. So I was like, I like to go in and just do a vision board party with them because I used to do vision board events all the time. So I did a vision board party with them. I did a Bible study with them and this started maybe 2014. And when I did the Bible study, I did not realize because by this time the Lord had given me a heart for mm-hmm. women in crisis mm-hmm. and transition mm-hmm. because that's what I went through. And so coming, going through crisis and transition, mm-hmm. not thinking that I was good enough and all this wanting to pour into women in that spot and tell them that you are good enough. You are worthy of every good thing that God has for you. You are worthy of God's best. And mm-hmm. so I was going there and I was leading women's ministry, but this was like outside. I wanted to go into this place. So I went there and the women didn't have Bibles. And when I brought them Bibles, there were women right here in America who were not from a foreign country. They had never opened a Bible. They had never read a Bible. I had Mm -hmm. to teach them how to go to the front. And I would buy them when I realized that they wanted Bibles and that they didn't understand how to read it. I would go Mm -hmm. and buy these pretty, that's why I say beautiful Bibles, not the $5 kind that you get when, People give out as Not the green kind. No, <laughs> honey, I was going to the Christian bookstore Are with my coupons expensive. and stuff. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the them up. Yes, yeah. women's Bibles instead and of pretty Bibles. And I would lay them out to the women that would come to the study and to the vision. I love and, it. Passes, and I mm-hmm. would let them select whichever one they wanted. And then we would go over to love these, these reading things. And so I started there and I did it for maybe two or three years. And then I started mm-hmm. connecting. And I realized that I didn't want to be an organization that did it myself, but to connect with other organizations. So I've Mm -hmm. worked with several different organizations to give Bibles, to do vision boards and Mm -hmm. to give Bibles to these women that want them. And sometimes they want the vision board or they want me to teach on something. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they already have Bibles. So I try and do whatever is needed and give clothes.
0: You're You're sewing into the kingdom. I love everything that you talk about, the way that you're serving, the fact that you're not just giving out that green Bibles because the font is so small, you can barely read it (laughs) so that you can really have something of your own, not those pocket-sized Bibles. But as we begin to kind of like wrap up our conversation, there is something that I, I love, love, love to ask my guests because I think it will absolutely help someone else, especially those who may not have such a deep and intimate relationship with God, which is What is one thing that you know about God that you wish the whole world knew?
1: That he wants to have a relationship with you, Mm
0: -hmm. Um, that he desires
1: an intimate relationship with you, and that our calling is more than the work we do. He calls Mm -hmm. us into a relationship. So God desires relationship. That is the one thing. And I know it's been said a lot more Mm-hmm. lately. But the truth is that God longs to have intimacy with his children. And that is where we get our strength. Mm-hmm. That is where we get our ministry. That is when we work from that place, it flows. And when we're not in that place and we're trying to figure it out, God just says, come back into this place with me.
0: Yeah. Cause some people feel like it's really ominous when we talk about a relationship with God. And I just remember hearing Joyce Meyer say, God is not as difficult to get along with as you seem to think. Like we create these barriers to having a relationship with him when literally he is standing with his arms wide open and just saying, come to me. Right. And so I love that you just said that. Krista, like how can people get in contact with you? They want to connect with you. They want to like, you know, be either coached by you. They want to be a part of whatever you're doing, any type of conference or event. How can they reach you?
1: They can go to KristaPetiford.com. And they can find everything there. And I do called conference calling God's daughters to the heart of the father. I believe this year will be our fifth year. And Mm -hmm. that that conference is about more than just the calling, but it's the call of God to the heart of the father. And that conference was really based off of a book. I did a call to God's daughters to step into Mm -hmm. love, acceptance and beauty. And it was based on the book of Ruth which was also a Moabitess and went through things and then God shaped her identity and the way she lived out her faith into her destiny through his love, acceptance, and beauty. And so that is a book I have written. I've written other books, but that was one that God really said, now I want you to do the called conference. And so I've been mm-hmm. doing that since 2016.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah, 17. that's a long time. So I'll be sure to put all of that information in the show notes. I just want to say to you, thank you again for coming on to the show and sharing your incredible testimony and your journey with Christ and how you literally move from a place of pain into God's purpose for your life. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part today.
1: You are so welcome. And if I could just add, you said things that I do have to offer women is my brave change course. And so it's Mm -hmm. how to get out. You know, if someone is looking for something more in this moment, It would be my brave change course, how to move on from your past, which I had a hard time doing, but when I figured it out, I got it and move into the future that God has for you. It takes courage. It takes faith. And so that course walks you through how to do that, how to execute change Mm -hmm. that lasts in your life.
0: Amen. Amen. I'll be sure to put that also in the notes. They can connect with you that way. So thank you again so much and have a fantastic day.
1: Thank you so much. I look forward to listening to myself in the episode. So
0: yes. Excellent. Beyond my book, if you're interested in learning more about how to become God's best version of yourself by awakening to your purpose, consider enrolling in my online course, which you'll find on my website again which is www.drbrunnell.com because God's love for you and the reason why he created you is greater than you will ever know. And guess what? He wants you to succeed in carrying out your purpose.